Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's Tuesday afternoon. This has been a long time. It's been a long time. Lots of ground to cover today on a new episode of Corner 3 presented by our friends at MechDine. You can learn more about them at MechDine.com. M-E-C-H-D-Y-N-E.com. Scott Christofferson, uh, we've got some ground to cover today ahead of Friday night's date with the Miami Hurricanes in the Sweet 16. Yes, we do. Uh, where do you want to start? Well, I mean, I guess we might as well start with where we uh, left off last week after the uh, previewing the first round of the tournament. So we might as well start with the, the win over LSU, I would think, don't you? Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a good place to begin. Um, or do you want to start with you continuing to be a menace on Twitter and just and <laughs> you've you've reached a point where you you take every opening, you see the opening, and you're gonna you're like a running back. You sit back there, you dance around, you take the handoff, you dance around, and then you wait for the hole to open. And the second that the hole opens, you're gonna burst through at full speed, zero to sixty in a minute. You know, I, I was. Prisoner of March Madness, man. I, I, I tweeted out on Sunday, and, and, and to be truthful, I had no idea that that many Iowa fans would see it and like react that sharply to it. I, because I'd never got to understand. This is my first year of Twitter. There's still a lot of things that I don't quite probably know about. So I just sent that out thinking Cyclone fans would have a little fun with it. We'd all share a few laughs. Before you know it. You know, Iowa fans are just coming at at that tweet left and right, just saying some of just the craziest, most ridiculous things. I actually picked one out to tweet back at that I thought was funny. Like the pencil neck comment. Here's the thing. You tease me and you make a good joke or you make a good point. Like I will just, I will like it. I'll acknowledge it. If you come and just say the craziest thing that you can think of, I won. I'm in your head. You, you, you've t- completely lost your, you know what? And, uh, and so then it grew, right? Like I tweeted that back out and so, and everybody kind of picked up on the pencil neck thing. Then the game happened, the spiders got them and, uh, it was on from there. I mean, you know, I, to me, that's one of the fun things about college rivalries, right? Like there'll come a day when it'll be, Iowa's turn to, unleash the hounds on me and, and I'll be a good sport and, and take it all in stride. But, uh, man, I, I called my shot. It went in Have a little fun with it. Right. The Friday night one after we won, that was probably a little, I didn't have to do that, but I just couldn't help it. Yeah. You, what, I don't remember if it was Saturday or if it was Sunday that you asked me if you should say something else about the Iowa fans. And I said, I think it's time to let the sleeping dog lie here for a little bit. You can't just like yeah. goofing around, you know, I, cause I, yeah, after Friday night's one, you know, it, it, you gotta, you gotta have good taste on it. Right. Like I got my last shot in and now it's time to move on to the second round, but uh, I enjoy it. I really do. I mean, the, it's some of the Iowa fans were very funny and said funny things back. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't like Iowa fans, but I respect the ones that 
you know, can think of something kind of clever to say back to me and I'll always, uh, you know, kind of tip my cap to that sort of stuff. Yeah. The majority of them know that it's all in good fun. Like you're not trying to be. Malicious. Yes, I would agree. I, there was a lot of people that knew that. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, all right. We do need to start with LSU though, man. Um, lots to cover. I think just from that one individual game, uh, obviously let's start with Tyrese Hunter, uh, an all-time performance from the freshman. I don't know that anyone could have ever seen that coming. And if you had told me that Tyrese Hunter was going to score 23 points, I think I would have assumed that he was, he had gotten to the free throw line a whole bunch of times, but to go seven of 11 from three, I mean, have a day young man, you know, like it's like I wrote in my column after the game, you have, he hits the one from darn near the logo uh, with the shot clock running down Darius days. The, the senior from LSU turns around and just taps him on the butt, man. Like sometimes there's nothing you can do, but tip your cap to him. You know, it was Tyrese Hunter's night in that building and there was nothing that was going to prevent Iowa state from winning that game. I think as soon as he realized that it was 100% his night. Yeah, no, I I thought you pointed it out well. I mean, he, like, that's the type of performance that on a national stage, like people, they'll know who Tyrese Hunter is now, you know? And and the ironic part is we all know him for being just a dynamically quick guard that can get in the paint and cause havoc on defense. And, you know, for him to have that kind of a night from the three-point line, which isn't necessarily, at least right now today, what I would consider to be his strength, front of his, you know, a lot of, you know, pretty close, to hometown in front of a lot of his, you know, friends and family. I mean, it, you know, we've talked about him quite a bit this year. I just, you can't say enough positive things about that young man and how, what, what type of a player he already is, but also, you know, I think he's got a, a really, really bright future in front of him and he'll have another opportunity here on Friday night to kind of further cement what's been, you know, one of the all time great freshman seasons uh, in Iowa state history, you know, trying to lead this team to an elite eight. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, he is just still scratching the surface of what he can be as a player, you know, like the, the ways that his game can continue to grow. I want to say though, you and I had, we have had the exact right read on both of these games. Like I'm not trying to toot our horns here, but like you and I have both kind of called this game, these games going exactly how they ended up going, you know, and we didn't, we didn't really, we didn't do a podcast before that game against Wisconsin, but you and I had a lot of conversations leading up to it that, you know, it went about exactly how we kind of thought that it would. And that LSU game, you know, we've talked so much about big 12 defenses and things like that. We both felt like they were going to have more room to operate and more room to run their offense than what they had during any Mm -hmm. other game over the last several months. And I thought it became clear pretty early on in the game, they were going to be able to get looks to create opportunities, you know, and man, that had been a struggle at times for them just during big 12 play. But I think you see when the scouting isn't quite as good when, uh, where you're not, I mean, being able to be scouted as heavily as what you are during the regular season. And when you play against teams that don't run that no middle system, like what uh, a lot of teams in the big 12 do, you know, you've just got so much more area on the space or or so much more space on the court to just be able to run your stuff, you know? And I think when these guys can run their stuff more often than not, they're not terrible, you know, but it's when they have to start improvising that things can really kind of start to get out of hand. But when they've played these last two teams, they haven't had to improvise as much like that. They've been able to have the, the opportunity to, to run their stuff and work through what they're trying to do. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I think where this team has struggles is when teams dare them to spread them out and just drive the ball to the basket and just go make play after play after play outside of the offense. Like, you know, again, the obvious example I feel like I always bring up is Texas Tech. The we well, That's not really what this team's strong suit is, but when they can run their stuff in the half court and then on the other end, like I thought in both games it was very clear five minutes into the game, they were guarding the other team's stuff. The other team was – going to have to have a night of tough shot making to get a number six, like 65 or 70 on them. And when this team can run its offense in the half court, grind out possession after possession, get one or two guys each night to kind of have a night, get some contributions from everybody else. And then defensively can defend the way we just saw them do it for two games that I think we saw why they went 12 and 0 in non-conference play. Um, And so I think that that's where, you know, going into this weekend, you know, I know a lot of us, not a lot of us, I know all of us didn't necessarily see a sweet 16 happening in TJ's first year. There's really no reason that this team can't win this game on Friday night, in my opinion, if they can do those two things again. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I just, you know, I thought that that game Friday was really important because it not only did LSU, was LSU a good defensive team? Man, LSU had some guys who are really, really good athletes, you know, and when Iowa State's played some teams that have those really good athletes, that's when you've kind of seen them have some trouble too. And that's, it's nothing against Iowa State's guys. I just don't think that anyone would put them in the category of elite athletes outside of Tyrese and and maybe Isaiah, you know, they're just a bunch of, especially on the front court, on the front court, we don't have a bunch of above the, above the rim rebounders or, you know, guys that can erase shots at 11 feet consistently. And, uh, they, I mean, they, they went toe to toe. I, I just like this team is so much fun to watch. There's so much to appreciate about them. And like Friday night is a great example. If we would have talked last week and I would have said, they're going to shoot 37 threes. They're going to get out rebounded by 10. You and I would have been like, going to get blown out. This is mm-hmm. going to be ugly. And they just find a way to win. They just keep fighting you know, we're all sitting there thinking, drive the, do more of this, do less of that, you know, but they don't hear the noise. And that's what you got to love about them, right? Like they just, they are locked into what TJ wants them to do. They are locked into what they trust each other to do. And they just go out there and keep executing, keep grinding, keep grinding. It's not always pretty, but they, that's what's made this team get to 22 wins on the season. And I think, you know, myself, I'll throw myself in here. We can all sit here and say, do less of this and do more of that. But at the end of the day, like, they're the ones out there, they're getting it done and they're playing through their mistakes. And there's something to be said for teams that can play that are mentally tough enough to play through mistakes. And I think that's something that I'll always look back on this team and really admire about them as a group. Yeah. And I think just to, it's like, you have to have, I don't even know the best way to put this. They are not like a team that you sit there and they're fun to watch because you appreciate their shot making ability or appreciate anything that they can do as far as the skill wise of watching the game. You sit there and you watch them and you can really appreciate watching them play because it's a bunch of guys who are just really dialed into what they're supposed to do to help the team, you know, and it's like you get a bunch of guys who have just really bought into what their role is and they just go and play their role and they don't try and do a whole lot else than that. You know, and the thing, the thing that I love about that, like, it's easy to do that when you're 12 and 0. it's easy to do that when you win two games and go to a sweet 16, when you're three and nine in the big 12 and you believe in yourself enough to keep coming back and executing your plan and you find a way to win four in a row, like 
that's that to me is what really makes this group different because there are a lot of teams that when they were three and nine in the league would have just said, all right, you know, it's over. Uh, this, our plan doesn't work. We're not good enough, but these guys believe in each other. You know, they believe in TJ, they believe in the coaching staff. They, and you, you see it in the way that in both of these games, it comes down to crunch time and they're so tight knit together. They're so bound together. And I think that's what allows them to eke out some of these just, you know, grind in in and out, grind, grind out type of possession games. And I, again, I think, I think that's the fabric of a team that, you know, has more in its tank to, to win more games in this tournament. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk a little bit more specifically about Sunday night, the win over Wisconsin, man. I, I think that when we look back on this several years from now, we'll remember that as being one of the more significant wins, I think in modern Iowa state history for a lot of different reasons. I think the first one, just to go into that building, knowing that what you're going to be walking into from a crowd standpoint, where it's 95 to five, Iowa state, probably, you know, or Wisconsin yes. to Iowa state. Uh, and then, you know, to go against a team that had won the big 10 regular season title, had some really good start players uh, and, to have to beat them in what is more or less their home floor, like that's, that's huge. You know, just that aspect of it, of being able to win the game and to get over those things. But I'm saying that I, I think a couple years from now, after we've seen how Iowa state's recruiting is going to play out, we're going to find out there were a lot of kids in the state of Wisconsin who got dialed into who Iowa state is because they went to Milwaukee and beat Wisconsin in the NCAA tournament. And you're all of a sudden like, man, that's the kind of place that I could go, you know? And, and I, I don't know, like you would obviously know this better than me because you grew up in, in Wisconsin, but I don't know, man, I just got this vibe that like the young people there don't like Wisconsin. I don't know why that is, but it's like, I didn't meet a single young Badger fan while I was there. And even Johnny Davis said like, yeah, I didn't watch Wisconsin basketball growing up. And it's like, okay, where do the Wisconsin fans even come from? If, like the basketball players at Wisconsin are like, yeah, I didn't even watch Wisconsin as I was, you know, Tyrese said he didn't watch Wisconsin growing up. Did you watch Wisconsin growing up? Never even considered going there, man. Uh, Tom Crean came and sat in the, came to my school when I was a freshman offered me a scholarship. And uh, I, I started watching Marquette play and that was just coming off a of Diener and D Wade and some of those guys and Steve Novak. And did Tom you know, Crean just, tell you you'd be the next D Wade? No, no, that was not the comparison that he tossed out there. I was waiting for it, but I decided I'd commit anyways. I'm kidding. Um, but uh, I just always loved that. I, I mean, I think Wisconsin's a good program. I do have a lot of respect for their program. I just would never want to play the style of basketball that they played when I was getting recruited. That's why I never thought about going there. And uh, I think that's why, you know, a guy like Tyrese probably doesn't think about going there because you know, if, if I'm him, I mean, I want to go somewhere where a coach is going to let us get up and down. Let me use my, my, my tools. You know, for me, I always wanted to develop as a player. I wanted to go somewhere where, however, whatever my limited ceiling was, I wanted to know that I went for it. And that's why I chose Marquette. And that's why when I transferred again, I didn't even consider Wisconsin because I wanted to go somewhere where I felt like I was going to have a chance to, to expand my game and grow as a player. And, um, I can't speak on a lot. I, I think there's probably more young Wisconsin Badger fans than you think. But if you go into like Milwaukee and, you know, go into a lot of the good recruits that come out of there, 
I would say the majority of those players would rather go play for TJ at Iowa State. They'd rather, you know, if they're good enough to go play at a, a national power, a Kansas or a Kentucky or something like that. But I just think that there's a little bit of a stigma with the way the Badgers play as far as like slow and methodical and that sort of a thing. And I think a lot of the elite talented players that want to get up and down and play a little bit more of an athletic brand of basketball don't, that doesn't really appeal to them. And I I would bet if you ask Tyrese about that or Johnny Davis, they might, they might echo some of those same things. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is nothing against Wisconsin. Like I don't have a problem. I have no, nothing against them, but it, I just get this general vibe that they, I I don't know that's that they didn't take Iowa state seriously or anything like that. Like I can't even put the right way the think of the right way to put it into words. If I'm Wisconsin, I would feel threatened by Iowa state. Yeah. Because you know that if, if Iowa state's good, they're and especially with the staff that Iowa state has right now with TJ and JR Blount and like, and those guys, man, if Iowa state's good, you're going to miss out on some serious opportunities to get some kids who might fall through the cracks because Iowa state's going to be up in there working their asses off to try and steal those kids out of your state. Oh, TJ's got really, he's really well connected, you know, within the entire Fox Valley and Milwaukee area, which is where a lot of the good players come out of, you know, he's obviously got connections into the lacrosse area as well. Um, And, you know, if you're TJ, and you're going to talk to a high school kid that you want to come to your school, you say, Hey, look at what Tyrese did when he came to Iowa state. Look at what Isaiah did when he came to Iowa state, we're going to get up and down. I'm going to let you play. Like you're going to work your butt off on defense. We're going to toughen you up, but we're going to let you play. I I mean, I just think it's a, not an easy sell, but I think it's an appealing sell to young players. And yeah, they all just watched Iowa state come in and, and out muscle and out tough wisconsin on a you know predominantly uh wisconsin you know court Mm -hmm. uh from a fan base standpoint so i think it's a huge win for the program and what this team is yet to accomplish this year but i know tj is looking to really get a pipeline going of players coming out of different parts of the midwest wisconsin obviously being a big one for him Uh, i think he's got a lot of former players that would vouch for him that people would know of in wisconsin that guys i played with guys that came after me and i think this only strengthens that yeah and i think too that's where man it was so cool to see tyrese play the way that he did up there because you could tell from the ovation he got before the game when they announced his name in the starting lineups and everybody cheered like the whole arena cheered for him you know that he is a guy that people know up there you know, like they remember Tyrese Hunter, what Tyrese Hunter was like as a player. Okay. Now you're going to recruit kids in the state of Wisconsin here in the next couple of years. Come play with that kid. Come play. If you with don't him. love Tyrese Hunter. That's like not liking like Tyrese Halliburton, right? Like yeah. how do you not love Tyrese Hunter? Like, and then you get to know a little bit of his story and his makeup and stuff. And I mean, if there was a kid that deserved to succeed and go on and just cash in on his incredible talent, I mean, I, even if you're a Badger fan, I would think you got to get up and, and get, give that kid a standing O if you know a little bit about him and, and what he has accomplished in his short career coming out of Wisconsin. He's, he's just a really, really impressive guy. And here's it's one of my other favorite things I saw. It was a video that Mark Freund tweeted out uh, the other day when the team was taking the court. And, he, and he's walking out of the locker room and he says, if you're scared, take your ass back to the locker room. And I was like, that's an 18-year-old freshman telling all this whole team of veterans guys who have played hundreds of college basketball games between each. I mean, I think if you tallied up every single college basketball game that everybody else on his team has played, it'd be well over a thousand. 
And the guy who's played 30 college games says, if you're scared, take your ass back to your locker room. That's a leader, dude. Like that's a guy that you can rally around. You know that that guy is the one that's going to hold people accountable and push people to be their best. And that's the guy you want to play with, you know? And he's authentic. I think Ty, I think that's another thing that makes him so likable is like, he's not saying that to put on a show. He's not saying that to try to get on somebody's camera. Like he's actually a pretty quiet, he strikes me as a quieter leader on the court, a guy that just kind of goes about his business. And because of the way he approaches the game and plays it, I think that's why when he says something like that, like I've been in locker rooms where guys will talk and everybody's kind of sitting there like, man, this guy just shut up. Like, we don't believe what he's saying. That's not him. He's the, the opposite of that. Like when he says something, trust me, everybody hears what he says and they listen to it. And it's because of how he approaches the game. Yeah. Uh, all right, this game, man, I've said so much about the game against Wisconsin. We haven't talked about any of the actual game yet, but uh, it was just – I was really nervous going into the game. I don't know why. Like, I usually don't get that nervous for games. But for this one, I was kind of nervous, and it was it – Because was, we don't want this to be over. <laughs> no, and I, I don't even know if that's, if that's what it is. I think it's like – I was just – I felt like they were the, going to be the better team. You know, okay. but I was nervous because it just, we don't know with this team. They're so inconsistent that it's like, you can feel like they're going to be the better team. And that, that doesn't mean anything sometimes. And yeah. uh, then once the game started and there'd been a couple possessions, I was like, all right, no, I think they're going to be all right. You know? And yeah. then the, and we're going to come back, we're going to talk about officiating later on, but the, that was what I got nervous about then was how the game was going to be officiated because I was concerned that Iowa state would get taken out of the game or out of the way they wanted to play by the officiating, but they didn't allow it to take them out of how they wanted to play. And you could see pretty quickly in the game, how frustrated, visibly frustrated guys like Johnny Davis were getting, uh, how frustrated Brad Davison was getting some of those big men, how frustrated they were getting. And I was like, okay, it did not take very long to get into these guys' heads. I feel like Iowa state's got them right where they want them at this point. Yeah. I wanted Wisconsin for like weeks. I mean, that to me, that was the perfect matchup for this team. Having watched them play against, uh, you know, Iowa and Creighton earlier this year, both really good teams. You know, we saw what they could do to a guy like Keegan Murray. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if they can get Wisconsin either in that two seed, you know, a two ten game or a, in this case, three eleven. um, you know, they got to do a number on Johnny Davis, turn everybody else into a, you know, make them make plays when they're uncomfortable. And I don't think they're going to be up for, for our intensity, our speed or quickness, the rotations, our ability to deflect balls and stay in plays. And, you know, that's kind of how it played out. You got to give, you know, Gabe and Isaiah, you know, different guys, a lot of credit for making Johnny work to catch it in spots that he's uncomfortable with it. The rest of the guys did a good job of when he did catch it, making Johnny feel like he always had to score over two or three players. And, you know, the rest of the team, maybe minus Brad Davison early, just didn't have it going. And, and I think that was like a best case scenario. They defended them better than I thought they would, but I expected them to make Wisconsin very uncomfortable. I, Wisconsin has not played a team this year that defends like Iowa State. I, I was confident about that going into the game. Yeah, and I, I do want to tip my cap to Johnny Davis. That kid's a really good player. And yes, I, I thought pro, you, for sure. He's yeah, a pro. I thought you could tell he probably isn't 100%, which is a little bit unfortunate because I would like to see him play against Iowa State's defense at 
but even still, I think if that had been the, if he had been hundred percent, I don't know that it makes that much of a difference in the game because I thought Iowa State had a really good game plan, you know, and they did a mm-hmm. really good job of just making him feel like he had to work way harder than even he probably did sometimes, you know, and uh, it, he was just so frustrated. I could just tell, like you can, when you're right. sitting that close, you can just see it on someone's face, their body language, like how they're moving about the court. If they feel comfortable out there and he never looked comfortable. And I was like, and that was really important, especially early in the game. You can't let those guys think that they are, have any room to feel comfort, you know, and he never had that. And that's, that's, and that, credit to that's Isaiah. why I like, that's why I like the matchup because I, Wisconsin has guys that when the play is made for them can make the shot. They don't have anybody other than him and Chucky Hepburn a little bit. Obviously he got hurt that can make plays for themselves and others consistently. And so to ask one guy or, you know, Chucky Hepburn's a good player, but he can't create offense the way that Johnny Davis can. So, so to have like basically one player that's going to go out and slice and dice Iowa state for 40 minutes either making the shot or making the play for somebody else to get a shot. I just don't think that that's a matchup, even if he's fully healthy and they play 10 games. I think Iowa state frustrates them seven or eight out of those 10 games defensively. I'm not saying they win seven or eight of them, but I just, I think that's the type of team that Iowa state really matches up well with um, defensively. I mean, and, and that's why I, I loved the matchup and I thought Iowa state executed their game plan you know, not to perfection, but I thought they executed executed it at a very high level. I think it's it's good that they played Wisconsin too because you could see an added layer of focus, I think, for Gabe Kalsher. He took this one personal, you know? Like, <laughs> this is – it's like in the Last Dance documentary when Michael Jordan said that's when it was personal for me. That That's yeah. – that's the vibe that I got from Gabe Couser even before the game. He, him, and Brad Davison have known each other for a long time. Obviously, did a lot of battle in the Big Ten uh, in Gabe's time at Minnesota. It became pretty clear to me early in the game. Gabe is here to make a point. You know, yeah. like it was like he's like, man, these guys don't want to get, they don't want to put any respect on my name. Okay, I'm gonna make sure, and they that they have to put some respect on my name. Because some of the shots that he was taking, the mid-range jumpers and things like that, like we don't even see him take those shots in a lot of games. And that he was in attack mode from the moment the game started. He pull, hits that mid-range jumper, and I was like, oh, okay. Like we're going to get yeah. that version of Gabe Kalsher. And every mid-range jumper that he took was so pure, it seemed like, where he was just locked in, you know. And and I was – as soon as I – as they figured out like, okay, Gabe is on one right now, I was like, I think Iowa State's going to have a pretty good chance because when he shows up more often than not, they can figure out a way to get it done. You know, they haven't lost a game yet when Gabe, well, I guess the Baylor game, they didn't win. But when Gabe comes out and plays in that type of uh, type of way for 40 minutes, they have not lost a game yet when he's been that way. I thought he also played within himself too, though. I, I can't really think of any, you know, tough step back type of shots or, you know, off balance threes that he took. And I think, to me, why I think this was his best game, first off, he had a huge assignment in guarding Johnny Davis for the majority of the game. Did a very nice job there. But then I just thought he was very, very efficient. There wasn't a lot of wasted dribbles, wasted, you know, there wasn't, you know, I don't know what his final turnover count was, but it couldn't have been high. Um, you know, his shots were within himself, right? Like they were within the flow of the offense. He looked comfortable. He looked on balance. His timing looked good. 
And I think when Gabe plays that way, he is a guy that can shoot 33, 35% from the three point line and shoot a decent percentage from two. And, uh, you know, that was just, it was, he's a guy I know that's taken some criticism this year for his offensive struggles and to see him come out and have, we'll always remember the Wisconsin game. Like we have five years from now, we will talk about more so than the LSU game beating Wisconsin in Milwaukee with all those guys there. And we'll remember Gabe having one of the great tournament performances in recent memory for an Iowa state cyclone. Yeah. And it, the three that he hit in the second half to put them back in front, the pull-up three-pointer, I was like, okay. It, like, you're in your bag, bro. Like, that was the moment when it's like, all right, man, I get it. We get it. We see you. You know, like, you don't you don't got to do it to him like that because he's, he's in transition, running at full speed, comes up. Brad Davison takes, like, two steps backwards. And you know that the second that he saw that, he's like, oh, okay. Because he kind of does a little, like, pound dribble, set his feet pull up and shoot and it just straight cash. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like that's that. And again, it goes back to the thing. I think that he took the matchup personal against Brad Davison because he was like, I'm going to kill this guy. Like I'm going to come out here and kill this guy. And it, well, and even if you don't take it personal after Brad Davison does his 32nd wave to the crowd to pump the crowd up after every possession. I mean, anyone would get annoyed with a guy like that and want to stick it to him. Dude, he does so. Oh man, <laughs> I know. <laughs> like you're gonna it's get funny. Me I was sitting. I was sitting next to Corey Lucius at the game, and we were talking about it. And I said, Brad Davison is the most Wisconsin Badger player, to, most Wisconsin esque Badger player to ever play at Wisconsin. Like he's good. He's a good player. You respect him. But my goodness, is he an easy guy to cheer against? He is annoying. He's a really good player, and I respect his ability. I don't yes. have I have no respect at all for the way he carries himself on the floor. None. And I like that, and I hate to say that, but man, yeah. He's been it, doing it it is. The, he's been doing it that way for too long for anyone to respect him because he well, has somehow tricked officials into thinking that he's the weakest player on the floor when he's probably one of the strongest on the floor. And that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. George Condit picked up three illegal screen calls because Brad Davison basically decided I'm going to run through screens like I'm the fullback on a lead on a, on a halfback dive. And I'm going to just plow into people and then I'm going to fall down and then they're going to call the foul on that guy. And that makes no sense. The, the most uh, metaphoric Brad Davison moment that I ever saw was after a couple weeks ago, the Jawan Howard incident with the handshake, right? And there's the skirmish and guys are swinging, whatever. They're trying to get off the court. And I was watching this and he goes and gets everybody and takes them down. And he's like, we got to sing the whatever song they sing after they win. He's like, no, come on. We got to go sing this song. And I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's Brad. And like, after watching him play, not like that is him in a nutshell, like that guy. And yeah. uh, he's a great player. I mean, he's a very good player, very good college player. And I don't know him personally. I'm, you know, maybe he's a really nice guy, but he's just kind of that he's a weenie. I don't know what else to say. I think that's a perfect way to put it. I mean, it just, I don't know until I had sat, you know, in the first row, 10 feet away from watching him do a lot of these things. I mean, I was sitting on, uh, across from the Wisconsin bench, right by the basket, basically. So to watch him, like when he drew the two fouls on Isaiah, when Iowa state was on offense, I was right there. I saw both of them right in front of me. 
the first one when he when Isaiah put his shoulder into him literally one time and he went flying backwards, which is this. Oh man, that's the softest way to play defense that there is that exists, and I hate it. I absolutely hate it. That's why I hate charge calls. Honestly, I despise it. And uh, for him to draw that one, I was like, okay, well now I'm already annoyed. Like that was that was predictable. (laughs) But then the next time when he comes in and tries to front in the post, and Isaiah does. I mean, I attempts to do a swim move, didn't even do it effectively and somehow draws a is called for an offensive foul on that play. And then Brad Davidson clapping his hands and getting all fired up. And I'm like, dude, like what, like, what do you, uh, how, like, how do you get that call? Like, why are they giving you that call? You know? And then he'll do the things where he's trying to go around a screen and he'll wrap up he'll get his arms tangled up with somebody else and then throw his arms up in the air. And like those, it's just like, it's cheap, man. That's what I don't respect that stuff because it's not playing the game. In my mind is the right way to play the game. Like if you want to think that you're tough and you want to be this guy, who's this gritty guy, do it. Don't be, don't do it in a cheap way. You know, don't trick the officials into thinking that you're tough. I feel like he would be like from a movie, like, like a movie yes. old school or a movie like wedding crashers where, He's like that guy that's kind of like the Mr. Goody two shoes, but you just know deep down, like he's just, he's just like on the court. I'm talking, not personally, he's but he's, Bra- you're he's just Bradley like, Cooper and wedding crashers. I just don't like exactly. Like he, he's the guy blitzing off the edge when we're going playing a little two hand touch and mm-hmm. you know, it, it, telling stories about, I don't know, whatever animal Bradley Cooper was saving in that movie. And you're just sitting there rolling your eyes like, man, but this dude just shut up. Yeah. Yeah, man. I told you, you were going to get me going. If you brought a Brad Davidson, you're going to get me going, dude. <laughs> I, he was, we got dude. It's, it's March madness, man. We got to get to all the, the fun topics. If we, if not now, when Come I, on. I'll be completely honest, he brought out in the worst in me and on Twitter, he brought out the worst in me. Uh, like I just, I've, I got done with the game and I got back to my hotel room. I was like, man, I probably tweeted some stuff. I probably shouldn't have tweeted like during in the middle of the game, I'm sitting in on press row. And I'm, you know, like I said, Brad Davison doesn't seem to like his own medicine because I think uh, who was it that someone drew a charge on him uh, or something. And he does the thing where he hooks around on someone behind him. And I'm just like, Oh my goodness, man. Like, Cause then the second he's called for a foul, Oh, he's right up there with the official talking to the official. And it's every Davison is going to be 40 years old playing at a YMCA. And he's going to be trying to take charges on guys yes. at noon ball when he's that he's that guy. Yeah. That's who he is. Man. Yeah. But they were able I, to I gotta overcome say, it though. I, 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 the, the, a lot of times the best things in life are things you don't see coming. I don't think any of us saw this team coming. I feel like I didn't experience being an actual basketball fan until I got to watch basketball and have Twitter at my hand disposal. Like this is a whole new experience that I got to say, I know you said you maybe wondered if you were tweeting things you shouldn't like, I mean, just being able to, you know, throw a little comment as you go. This is like so much more fun than the first 32 years of life of watching hoops. Dude. And I, I love when you can just, the thing I love about watching basketball with Twitter is that you have, then you have so many more pairs of eyes. So you don't like, you can pick up on things, you know, and you can throw out, Oh, I'm picking up on this. I'll throw this out there. And it adds so much more context to the game, you know, of like understanding individual moments and games and things like that. And that's what, you know, I don't sit courtside very often. This is basically the only time I ever do is a big 12 tournament. And then at the NCAA tournament and 
the only thing I love about sitting courtside is you can see when guys are talking to each other, you know, you yeah. can see, you can start to see what the dynamics are between players. You could tell that there was not much love lost between anybody on those two teams, you know, and which and that, I think makes the game so much more enjoyable. Here's a perfect one. Bob Jones. Bob Jones is a cult hero uh, on, on the corner three podcast is, has at times been a cult villain and has at times been a cult hero on the corner three podcast. When well, I, he, I said we were going to go ahead, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. When he did the post move, the best post move, <laughs> I think Bob Jones has ever done in his entire life. The drop step spin around Steven Crowell lays it up and in and hits the seven foot one Steven Crowell with the two little sign. Uh, that was the moment when I was like, okay, there, like, it seemed like there must be something almost more to that. It turned out, I think Bob Jones had played high school ball against a bunch of those guys. <laughs> he had a lot so, of guys from the twin cities. And that's what I'm saying. So like the, I, uh, I think Tyler wall went to Lakeville North. Uh, I can't remember for sure. Or I think maybe, uh, uh, Stephen Crowell went to maybe Egan or something like that. Like, so there's a bunch of those guys that are from yep. that, that Eden Prairie Lakeville area that you, and then obviously uh, Bob is from prior Lake. So like, they're all from that same kind of general area, all played against each other a bunch of times in high school. And I was like, okay, so like you, there was a lot of personal dynamics, I think in play in this game that we maybe didn't even understand going into it. But that, like, that was the kind of moment where you see Bob make that move, Robert Jones, make that move best move that he's made the all year and finish it. And then he's got the swagger to like, to hit him with that. I was like, man, he like, that's, that's where you're like in a zone and you just do something and you're like, and then you look back at it on the film later and you're like, Oh man, I forgot that I did that. That was kind of goofy, you know, but it was so awesome in the, in the moment. And I don't even know if Steven Krause saw it. I was like, but that's like elite level trash talk right there. I Bob Jones is my favorite, my most underappreciated guy on this team. Um, I just love that he comes out every game, whether he plays five minutes or 25 minutes, like, you know what you're going to get in Bob. Like, you know, he's sometimes doesn't finish or, you know, around the rim, maybe the way we would like, or throws an errant pass, but like he plays hard, his, his energy and his motor and his mentality are consistent He's never out there thinking about himself. He's always out there just trying to help the team. I would have loved to have played with Bob Jones. Like he's a great teammate in my opinion. And uh, I told you that we, I was going to make you tell me your, your most underappreciated cyclone on the team. And I, you, you and I have talked about Bob a lot on the show, but also we text all the games going on and some of his better games. We've talked about him. And I know that you're a fan of his, but I got to know, is he your most underrated cyclone on the team or do you got somebody else? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody else is pretty properly rated. I think he's probably the one that just like flies under the radar a little bit. And I don't even know that fly under the radar is the right way to put it, you know, like here, let me, this is why I appreciate Bob Jones so much. I think that you can see over the last mm, four or five weeks, the game has slowed down for him. I thought it seemed early in the year, the game was too fast for him. And now you can just tell he's finishing at the rim better. He's seeing the passing lanes better. He made a great pass to Tyrese for an open three the other night as part of one of their actions right on time. And it just, he put it right in the shooting pocket. Tyrese rises up from the corner and draw and drills the three pointer wide open. Those are the kinds of things he didn't see earlier in the year. You know, he doesn't even think he couldn't have made that move that he made uh, on the baseline late in that game 
earlier in the year. That's what I appreciate about him is you can tell he's put in the work to, to be pretty good, you know, or to get to where he can even be at this position. He sat and he's watched his film. He's done those kinds of things. He's studied up and worked and like, and done the stuff outside of games to make him a self, a serviceable player. Three months ago, if you'd asked me if I thought Bob Jones should be on the Iowa State basketball team next year, I probably would have told you no. Right now today, I think that Bob can be a really valuable member of this program moving forward. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to play 25 or 30 minutes a night. But, man, if he he can at least give you a solid 10 minutes, you know, if that's what you really need from him. And he can go out there. And it, here's the best part. He's not going to screw anything up, you know. Like, you know, he can go he out there. Put- yeah, he'll he do doesn't his try job. to play outside of himself. Yeah, he'll go out there, he'll do his job, and that's all you need from him. And that's it. And like, and then he'll come out, and you're, you sit there, and you're like, well, we might not have gained any ground, but we didn't lose any either. I call it a win. You know, Trey Jackson's the same way. Trey came in, the, hadn't played at all at the end of the season. Last two nights, Trey's come in. Has he done anything spectacular? No. But you know what? At the same time, he hasn't done anything to hurt him either. And that's all you need from that guy when he comes into the game because then that gives you the opportunity – to where Tyrese doesn't have to play all 40 minutes. You don't have to have some of your other guys that are out there for all 40 minutes. And it gives you a little bit of flexibility to, to make some things happen and, and don't just, have to. Those run are fun. Around. Those are fun guys to practice with. They're fun guys to play with. Like those are fun guys to show up every day with and keep working and keep grinding. The season's a long season. And uh, those are, I think one of the reasons I like both of those players that you just mentioned are they just strike me as guys that like every day they show up with a consistent demeanor, a consistent attitude. And I think that as a coach, that's something that there's a lot to work with when you've got that. that I agree with you, but I don't think Bob's going to be a guy that starts next year and plays 30 minutes a game, but whatever he's asked to do, you just know what you're getting out of him. And I think he'll get better. He'll have another year in the program, another year in the weight room with TJ and all those sorts of things. And, uh, I, I I'm happy to see him because I'm with you. I think over the last five weeks or so he's playing better and it's how I'm happy to see him turning the corner and playing well, uh, just cause he, he strikes me as an impressive young guy. He's the kind of guy I'm glad as a cyclone, you know, yep. like absolutely it, when his career's over, you'll sit there and you'll be like, man, that guy didn't ever do anything on the floor. That was so impactful that everybody paid attention, but he did a, he did a lot. And like, everyone will appreciate him. That's why I say he's a cult hero. You know, he's that guy that that's going to get a loud ovation on senior night because everybody just has like, they just love him, you know, and he's got some things that frustrate you sometimes, but you're like, you know, whatever it's Bob Jones, man. Like, I don't know. It just is what it is. You know, I agree. And then every once in a while he'll sneak up and he'll give Steven Crowell the too little sign. And then just, he sends everybody into a frenzy. Um, yeah. Or, you know, he'll, he'll catch one on the, on the break or, you know, on the, on the elbow and he'll do something with it. You weren't expecting and it'll all kind of come together and he'll get it in the basket. And it like, he's just the kind of guy that like, I think fans like at Hilton, like when he does something, everybody gets more into the game. It's like getting mm-hmm. a big dunk or a big three, you know what I mean? And I just, cause I think he's an easy guy to cheer for. Yeah. I think he's an easy guy to cheer for. I think that's why people have been so drawn to Caleb grill, you know, because Caleb grill is not like, He's not an athletic freak by any means, you know, and he's not, he's a fine three point shooter. He's not a 50% three point shooter, 45% three point shooter. That's going to come out like Tyrus McGee and give you and hit three of them in a row right off to start a game. The second he steps on the court, 
But, man, he's going to hit some shots. He's going to come up with some steals and go coast to coast and get a dunk. Every once in a while, he'll make a play that, you know, you just – you don't see him. You don't expect him to. But he's going to do his job. And if he messes up, it's not going to be something that's so impactful it's going to lose you the game, you know. And it's just like – I think people look at guys like that and they see some of themselves in them because you know how, yeah. how how hard they have to work to be good players, you know? Like Tyrese and Isaiah Brockington, like obviously you know they work hard, but they have a lot of God-given t- uh, ability that then the hard work takes that to another level and is what allows them to be really, really good players. But the guys that you know don't have a ton of God-given ability that just work their asses off to be good players, that's what I think is really cool. Obviously, Bob Jones has the God-given gift of being six foot nine, but like other than that, like I don't know what other God-given ability Bob Jones has outside of just being a hard worker, you know? And I, I got to say, I think Caleb is not a, you know, he might not be like the lateral athlete of like an Isaiah or a Tyrese, but uh, watching him rise up in, in transition and yeah, he can jump like he can mm-hmm. really jump. Um, and when he when he flushes one, man, I like I think all of the Cyclone fans love it. I, I mean, when he, when he gets it going from the threes up, obviously we all everybody gets into that, too. And I actually think with Caleb, that's a guy I would love to work with. I think I could get Caleb. So I think I could help Caleb if I just got if you got if he got into a routine of practicing the types of shots that he pl- he's going to take on a consistent basis all summer. And I'm sure they've got, you know, Coach Green and JR and all those guys. Like, I just see he's got the tools and he's got enough mechanics. Like, I actually think he's got room to grow. I think next year he needs to be a guy that we can count on to shoot 37, 38% from the three. And, and I think that'll help take this team to like another, you know, this roster for next year to another level. Because if they had a guy like that on this team, this would be a even more dangerous team than they already are. So basically what you're saying is we need to start Scotty Christofferson fantasy camp. And all it is, is it's a cabin in the middle of the woods. You go to the woods, <laughs> there's a gym. Suddenly there's a gym that appears out of nowhere in the middle of the woods in Northern Wisconsin. You just, and you go there and you stay there for the entire summer and you do the Scott Christopherson workout routine and you don't have any contact with anybody on the outside world. It's only buckets. And it's, that's all it is for the whole summer is getting better. I'm down, man. Somebody get me that, uh, get, get that facility going, rent it out. I'll try to work it out with work to get the summer off. And uh, I'm kidding. I, I just mean, when I say that, like, I know they have coaches that know shooting and know all that stuff. He's just a guy, like, when I watch him shoot, in my head, I'm like, man, like, give me an hour with you, and I could show you a couple of things that would clean up some of your inconsistencies. And I think that when I say something like that, it's just more, some guys can't shoot, or some guys are tw- 25% or 30% shooters, and that's just what they are. He has the ability and capability, in my opinion, to shoot more consistent than what he has, because you see he's capable of getting hot. Like when he's got Mm -hmm. the touch, he can throw six or seven in pretty quickly. And I think that's the part of it that makes me say something like that is like, just more like, I just, there's a couple of things I think would help him out a lot. It would, from a practice habit standpoint, that if you did it for a summer, it would take off for him next year. Here, let me ask you this then. I think this is an element of shooters, no shooters, you know, did, was Fred Hoiberg one of those guys for you? Fred helped me 
a lot in regards to giving me. So when I got, when Fred got there, I had a good work, a really good work ethic, but Fred helped show me a lot of different drills to just like change up my workouts and try different types of shots. And he got me to think about shooting types of shots that prior to him, I would have never considered shooting. The first step is you got to practice some and you got to practice some with pressure on and you got to, you know, I would do things like if I don't make X and amount out of 10, I got to, it doesn't count. I got to do it over. And if I don't do certain things, I, you know, I would take guys and we would do shooting contests. Cause you gotta, you have to make it competitive as competitive as you can every day. Otherwise it's hard to emulate. Like if you just go and shoot stationary shots for an hour, I'm not going to say you don't get anything out of it, but you don't get near as much out of it. And I think Fred really helped me realize how to take my, my shooting regiment to the next level. Okay. which is probably why my career really took another step when, you know, when he came on as, as our head coach. See, and that's, that's what I was saying, or that's what I kind of meant was like, you almost needed that guy. Obviously Fred was as good of a shooter in the NBA as you were going to find during his career. So it's like, he's a shooter. It's a thing that a shooter knows a shooter, but like only a shooter can help a shooter get to that next level of like, okay, you want to be one of those guys. Well, you got to hear it from one of the guys, you know, from OG. Right. And like, it's cool. It's a mentality thing. That's the biggest thing is it's, it really is a, you know, you think about some of the great shooters that have come through this program, Naz and Matt and Ty, Tyrus, like they all have a mentality that they play with. They hunt their shot. They're constantly looking for that sliver of space to, to rise and fire, but they've also put in the, the endless hours of work to earn the right to be that confident. Mm -hmm. And that to me is where, that separates a, a 33% shooter from a 40% or a 45% three-point shooter. All right, last guy I want to talk about from these two games is Jazz Koontz because I think that he's been fantastic in both of them, uh, especially on the defensive end. He's, I think he's only scored like six points in the two games, maybe seven or eight, something like that. Uh, has not been huge on the offensive end. Has hit two really clutch three-pointers. But other than that, he has just been tough as nails on defense you know, the, the block that he had on Johnny Davis late in the game the other night to then diving on the floor to get after the basketball and call the timeout. Like that's the kind of stuff that it doesn't show up. Well, I guess that specifically would show up on the stat sheet since he got a block, but you get what I'm saying. It doesn't always yep. show up on the stat sheet with him, but when they play defense and when they're really locked on, like locked in defensively, your eyes are going to be drawn to that guy because he's always right there and he's always being active. He's getting his hands on balls. He's getting in the middle or stepping in front of people to take a charge or he's stepping in front to do something else and, and cut somebody off. He is just, you can see he's clearly locked into what they're doing and he's back playing and being the kind of player that we talked about him being in the non-conference when he was a real difference maker for this team. Yeah. It just, he makes winning basketball plays and some of them show up in the stat sheet, but some of them don't, you know, sometimes I can't tell you how many times this year I've seen where he goes to get a rebound, realizes he's not going to get it. And so he tips the rebound to somebody else, right? You know, the other guy's going to out jump him or whatever, you know, the just little things like that, getting his hands on balls. I think he does a great job with his communication on defense too, helping guys get to where they need to go. And I, I think he is, ha, has been very, um, even though he hasn't scored a lot late, he's been a very effective player for them. You can tell the guys on the team really, like him and respect him too. I think they really appreciate that whether he's getting 10 shots and scoring 20 points, which we've seen him do, or whether he's getting two shots and gets no points, jazz just keeps making winning basketball plays. And you can tell he's really won over his teammates with that. 
All right, just a couple more things, and then uh, we'll wrap this up. The officiating during this tournament has been uh, inconsistent, I guess would be one way to put yeah. it. Horrendous would be another way to put it at times. Uh, horrific, another way to put it at times. It just has been w- wildly inconsistent. And it it is so frustrating because there's, it seems like there are so many things that they call that you're like, what the hell are you doing calling that foul? There's times where they don't call fouls that you're like, what the hell are you doing not calling that foul? I'm tired of watching college basketball and watching things that are blatantly either not affecting the play be called or in things that are blatantly affecting the play not be called. That is what's really pisses me off about college basketball officiating right now is how many things happen in a basketball game that clearly impact what's happening on the floor that are not called while then things that are not impacting the game are called. They need to change the way they grade officials. They need to change the incentives that they give to officials. First off, they have way, and this has happened in other sports too, right? Like we see it happen in NFL football comes to mind. This replay, like I'm, on, I'm not saying do away with the replay, but because we have so many cameras and camera angles now, we're trying to get officials to see every angle that every camera can and ref every angle that every camera could. And what it ha- what ends up happening is it becomes very mechanical. The officials are not using their basketball instincts and their officiating instincts. And it's like they're there trying to prove to the people that are grading them that they've memorized the entire rule book and that they have found ways to enforce every piece of the rule book throughout the game. Now, if you did that for every second of the game, it would be like pass interference or holding in football. You could call it on every play. And I think this is where people get frustrated. There'll be a four minute period where you can tell like the officials are wanting to, I don't know if it's get control of the game in their eyes. To me, it kind of looks like they, they want to show everybody that they know all the rules. So then they, we, we hear a whistle every 15 seconds for four minutes. Well, if this went on, no, neither team would end up with any players on the court. So then they let four minutes go where they don't call anything and they let them play again. And now everybody's like, well, wait, what the heck's going on? Like, what kind of a game are we watching here? Is this going to be physical, uber physical? Is this going to be, we're calling it tight. And it just, I think part of officiating is you're going to make mistakes. We have to live with that. I want officials to use their instincts. I want, you know, people out there that are officiating to have a background in basketball, know the game. And the goal of the game, in my opinion, of officiating, we want to guide the teams through the game so that the best players, as long as they're willing to reasonably play within the confines of the structure we're giving them, they're out there on the court deciding the game, not the officials, not the foul line. I talk to the, talk to the players throughout the game, talk to Brad Davison, talk to George, George, you got to, you got to come to a full stop and you got to hit him, And then you got to, or you got to hit him on the screen and then move Brad. You can't be flopping every player. I'm going to start calling it on you. Isaiah, you know, if you think he's trying to create an offensive foul down there battling for post position, like have some awareness. Don't take the best player on Iowa state's team off the court by some ticky tack call, go and talk to him. Now, if he doesn't make the adjustment, you've warned him now make the foul call or go talk to the coaches. But there's just too much officiating going on. There's too much officiating determining what happens in the game. And I just look at it and say, stop trying to have officials account for every camera angle on the floor and get them to be more instinctive, less thinking, 
with the goal of guiding each team through the game and having the best players on the court deciding the action. There are three instances of this that I think are are best to uh, use as pieces of evidence. The first one is that Baylor North Carolina game, which is one of the weirdest college basketball games I've ever seen. <laughs> and especially in the way that it was officiated talk about taking the best players off the floor. I mean, there's a span where not only do you eject Brady Manick, who is, if not, or North Carolina's best player, their second best player, you eject him for something that I don't know, is it by the letter of the law? Probably should he be ejected? I guess, but like, come on, use your instincts. Are we going to take that guy out of the game for that right now? The second, the, you know, Armando Baycott immediately picks up his fourth foul right after that. It's like, man, we're going to take the best players from North Carolina out of that game. And that's the only, that's how, when in the world that we live in right now with sports betting and all of those things, you instantly see people, the game is fixed. The fix is in Baylor's down 25 and uh, immediately Brady Manick gets ejected. Armando Baycott's got four fouls. Leaky Black's got four fouls. And it's like the, and then the announcers, they've called so many fouls. The announcers don't even know how many fouls people have. And then you're like, okay, how are you going to tell me that this game is under control right now? Meanwhile, Baylor is mugging people 90 feet from the basket and not getting called for anything, you know? So like, that's, that's my example. Number one, example, number two, the hanging on the rim call in the Illinois game, use your instincts. The guy, it's a massive dunk at a massive point in the game. Illinois is making their run. They're making a comeback. It's the second round of the NCAA tournament. If the dude hangs on the rim for a second, maybe a second too long, whatever. It is what it is, you know? like Go and talk to him and say, hey, man, next time we can't hang on the rim. Like, that's where go and have a conversation. And be, like before you just resort to like oh, technical foul, flagrant one, this, that, or the other thing, like just go have a conversation with them. It wasn't anything egregious yeah, and then move on. Don't be the old fogey. Who's like, Oh, sportsmanship. We're not going to show up our opponents out here and you're not going to do it on my watch. Like get yeah. the hell out of here, man. That's ridiculous. And then the third one is Mike miles being tackled at the half court line of the Arizona TCU game. And that, you know, I, I don't know. Like I can see both ways of like, we want the players to decide to play on the floor. Yeah. Well, Mike miles fumbled the ball and it went to the backcourt and they nearly lost the game because the official didn't blow his whistle. Open your and eyes. Again, That's the blatant just, that affect the game. pretend like you're out at the park, reffing a basketball game and just go and call what you see, you mm-hmm. know, and another thing with the replay stuff, Give each coach two challenges throughout the game. You can challenge it. If you win your two, we'll give you a third. If you win your third, we'll give you a fourth. And until you lose, you can get another one. But let the coaches challenge a call that they want to challenge. Don't have the refs go to the monitor until the last two minutes of the game. I don't need to see when Bob Jones goes up for a rebound. And accidentally on his way down running, his elbow hits a guy. We don't need to go to the monitor and spend five minutes trying to determine if that's a flagrant one or not. It's not. He went to grab a rebound. He didn't get it. He turned. I'm talking about the Kansas game from earlier this year. Mm-hmm. He runs down the court like you. We spend five minutes reviewing that. And I know this is on the women's side, but then Lexi Donarski gets body slammed by Texas and it's just play on. And you wonder why people are confused as to like, well, what's flagrant and what's not, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's just, there's no consistency. 
And anytime uh, people are always going to talk about the officials because they just have a difficult job to do. I do not envy them. I would be a terrible official. And I do have a lot of respect for what we ask them to do. But it's because of those sorts of inconsistencies that people go to the whole, the game is fixed or they've got it in for this team or, you know, because there's just, there's a lot of it that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. All right. One last thing. Eddie Lampkin is a dog. I've been telling you, we've been talking about Eddie Lampkin for months. He's your boy, man. You yeah. are, you are on the Eddie Lampkin Big Eddie put the country on notice. Big Eddie put the country on notice Sunday night against Arizona. They came up short, but man, let me tell you right now, nobody's going to want to sleep on TCU and and Big Eddie Lampkin for the next two years. That's a promise. Give me a a pass player comp for Eddie Lampkin. Ooh. Man. um, I'm trying to think of a good one. The best, like the thing I love the most about him is Eddie Lampkin is a college big man. He's just a college. He's not the NBA ain't banging Eddie Lampkin's door down. You know, like they're not coming to try and get Eddie Lampkin to to come into the NBA this year. That dude is just going to be able to cook on the block for the next couple of years. I mean, I don't know, man, like, ah, Sean may. Okay. I was going to say Mike Sweetney. Okay. Yeah. Or Robert Tractor Trailer. Yeah, uh, yeah. The other one I was gonna say was Big Country. I think he he's in the Big Country territory as well. Like it's just he, and he'll be really. He seems like he'll be a really likable player. Like the media will like him and fans will hate to play against him because he's good. But when he's not playing against you, like you'll like watching him go. Yeah, and he was like he was on Twitter uh, supporting the Big Twelve and everything. Like I I I love Eddie Lampkin. Eddie Lampkin's my new favorite player in the Big Twelve that does not play for Iowa State. That I'm declaring it right now. I am number one in the non-TCU fan, Big Eddie fan club. Everybody okay. else can get in line. Uh, that, that was my last thing I needed to say about the tournament from this weekend. All right. It's Friday night against Miami. What do we think? I know you told me you haven't watched a ton of Miami yet, but we've talked about the metrics, all those kinds of things. Yep. I, think I, I think Iowa State's going to the Elite Eight, Scott. Hey, put me, put me down for it as well. I think, I think the guys and the women's team – are going to the lead eight. Man. Uh, you know, obviously, look, the reality is this is going to be a tough game. I'm not, you know, trying to say this will be a blowout or anything like that, but I like the matchup based off of what we were talking about before. I do plan to watch them later tonight. Uh, I've been trying to get my work done at work this week so I can take Friday off and go to the game. And uh, But they're, they're guard-orientated. They don't have a dominant big man. They're not dominant on the offensive glass. They're not a great defensive team. Those are the types of teams that Iowa State matches up really well against. And I think they're going to win. I just I, – I, Caleb has – it's been five or six games since Kansas State. I think Caleb is due for a game. You know, Gabe, you know, just had a big game. Isaiah hasn't had a big game in a while. I think that this is the type of game where they don't have a, a rim protector – he should be able to put his shoulder on people and, and, and own the mid range and get to the bucket. I think Tyrese has got a good matchup in this game with them, not having a guy to protect the rim jazz. Hasn't had a game in a while where he's hit three or four shots. Um, I think this team believes in itself. I think that they, you know, are back in their, their sweet spot. Like they were when they were in the non-conference season. And I'm telling you, I just, I like this team's chances. I do. And I think when you get to the elite eight, I mean, we're, you know, Iowa State's already playing with house money. You get that far, man. 
who the hell knows what can happen? You play Kansas again. Why not go into that game with some confidence? You beat them in Lawrence and the officials didn't call a goaltend that took it away from you, stole the game away from you. You didn't play very well in the second game, but they're a different team than they were in that second game too. Right now that was in the middle of their downswing, man. You have to, if you have to play Kansas again, if I'm Iowa state, I would welcome the opportunity to play Kansas again. I think that's a good matchup for them. I mean, again, I, Kansas would be favored. I, I'm not going to say that, you know, they're just going to go down there and, and, and settle the score with Kansas. No problem. But you know, they're again, perimeter orientated. They've got some decent bigs, but they don't have any, the teams that are going to give Iowa state trouble are the teams that can overwhelm them rebounding the basketball and overwhelm them with their length defensively. Kansas doesn't do that. I haven't gotten to see Providence a ton, but I don't, I, I, from everything I know about them, they don't do that. I mean, this tournament could not have fallen any better for the Cyclones. Yeah. Even if they disappoint us on Friday night and they lose like I'll still be proud of them, and I would still say this could not have fallen any better for them. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. But they, this has been perfect for them. What a time to be alive, man! Let's hope that we have to do another long podcast next next week and talk about two more games, and then get ready for one more. How about that? Uh, I you can sign me up. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. All right, everybody, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of Corner Three. Thanks to Mech Dine. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.